Well, we are going to dive into our message this morning as we are continuing the series that we kicked off a few weeks ago, Exiles. And uh, this series, Exiles, is all about the book of First Peter. We are walking through First Peter together as we are looking at this letter. And if you're not familiar with the letter of Peter, uh, Peter is written by the Apostle Peter to a bunch of people who are trying to follow Jesus in, in a land that it's really challenging at times, right? It's difficult. Things don't always work out. In fact, they're experiencing persecution because of their faith in Christ. And so we're going to ask this question throughout this series. And the question is, what does it look like to live for Christ in a world that is often hostile toward faith? How many know that's resonant with the life we're living today? Like the, the world we live in, faith in Christ not always looked on in a positive manner. But we're going to dig into this. Back in week number one, I contrasted the way of Babylon from the way of Christ. If you haven't listened to that message, I encourage you to go back to that one. Last week, uh, Pastor Dan said, Greg, you gave me the softball passage of the whole book. I'm like, I did. It was a great passage last week as we talk about our inheritance and this amazing uh, gift and hope that we have in Christ. Uh, But today we're going to dig into our study as we continue in the passage. So if you got your Bibles, would you open them to 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse number 13. And if we would, would you stand with me across the room? So we're going to read our text here together this morning. I say it every week, nothing sacred about standing. It's just our tradition to say, God, we honor your word above everything else, all right? 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. I'm going to read about six, seven verses here. It says, therefore... With minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work Impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. This is one of those passages Um, that challenges us. And so, God, I pray that we would receive that challenge. Instead of running away, we'd receive what you have to say to us. And, Father, we would live it out. And we just pray that in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, we missed you guys last week. Like I said, if you missed last week's message from Pastor Dan, go back and watch it. It was such an encouraging word. But we missed you last week because Amber and I were actually out of town at a wedding. Uh, Amber's brother, we didn't know if it would ever happen, but his, her brother finally got married. <laughs> Praise the Lord, right? <laughs> Praise the Lord. He met this woman, you know, it was maybe a year and a half ago or something. And from the very beginning, we just said, Ethan, don't mess this one up, <laughs> okay? We like her. Don't screw this one up. And we are there, they're on their honeymoon right now. And we are just so grateful for that. But uh, Ethan... Uh, you guys would have probably never met uh, this Amber's brother, Ethan. Ethan is super fun. He's just like a big kid in a lot of ways, loves to have fun. And he is the fun uncle. My kids love Uncle Ethan. Like he's so much fun. He does all the fun stuff. He plays with them. Like he'll drop what he's doing. He took vacation days just to hang out with my kids. Like he loves it. And my kids absolutely love it. And, and I've been preparing 
my kids for this is like, hey guys, he's gonna get married now and things are probably gonna be a little different. Like you can't just call Ethan whenever you want to. Like he can't just do whatever you want. And anytime, like he has a wife now, like things are gonna be different. Yeah, he has to think about things a little bit different. And how many of you know what I'm talking about? Like marriage changes some things, right? Like it, it's good. It's a good thing. In fact, like, I think in my life, it, it changed. I learned a lot of things when I got married. Like, I remember back when I first got married, I learned about toilet seats functioning in both the up and the down <laughs> fashion. I learned this. You know, I learned that dirty clothes, actually, they're not supposed to go on the floor. There's a basket for them, which is super great. And I learned that when you have a dirty plate, like, you don't have to put it in the sink. There's this machine next to the sink. And if you put the plate in there, they come out clean. <laughs> It's this crazy stuff that you learn when you get married because it changes some things. And, and a lot of stuff in my life beyond that changed when I got married. Like my priorities changed, right? My affections changed. My interests changed. My behavior changed. My vision for the future and what it would look like changed when I got married. And that's how it should be, right? That's natural. So last week we looked at the first half of 1 Peter. Uh, right, this first section. And like I said, this is an amazing passage. It paints this picture of the blessings that we have in Christ, this inheritance that we have. It gives us this eternal vision for the future that I think is foundational to this living hope. We were just singing about it, right? This, this living hope that we had, it's grounded in Christ and there is a hope that's in store for us. But then we get to the next passage, which is what we just read together. And it begins with the word, Therefore. Right? And I've been working on you guys for years on this one. There's a question you always have to ask when you read the word therefore. What's the therefore? Oh, some of you are starting to get it. It's so good. We're going to say it one more time. What's the therefore? Exactly. You got to ask this question because it's always connected to the previous passage. And if you don't recognize that, you take it out of context. And so when we look at this, we understand based on what we talked about last week, this amazing living hope, based on that, right? Because of the hope we have, because of the inheritance we have, because we've chosen to follow Jesus, despite the fact that sometimes it's hard, despite the fact that sometimes there might be challenges, because of all this, therefore... Peter then begins to lay out, okay, how should we behave? What should our lives look like? How should we live in response to all of this? And just like things change when you get married, right, just like there's some natural changes in the way you live and behave, he's going to lay out what needs to change for us as followers of Christ, how we need to live as faithful believers in response to this, Okay. So that's what we're going to dig into. So this morning, there's, I'm going to give you three points and a big so what. So if you're taking notes, this would be the things to write down, all right? We're going to look at this. What does it look like? Number one, Peter would say this, set your hope. Set your hope. Look what it says in verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. <clears throat> when my kids were younger, uh, we had uh, a... 2009 Chrysler Town and Country. It's pretty sweet, okay. We bought it used. It was burgundy. Um, we hated the color. We don't like the color burgundy, but it was all they had, so that was what we bought. Um, I sold that car within three years because I dropped seven to $8,000 in repairs in that car in three years. Super fun, love cars, okay. 
But there was one specific part about that car that, that used to drive me crazy, okay? I'm going to put a picture up here on the screen of this. So this was in the dash of the car, right? You got the whole big thing. Right in the center, there was this, this little clock. It was only about this big. And they put it in the town and country. Any of you that's owned a town and country, you're going to know what I'm talking about. Because they had this little thing in here, and it was, it was meant to be classy looking, right? They got this. It's not digital. It's got the real hands on it. It looks so classy. And they put this thing in the middle. But as you know, with most clocks, usually they hide like the, cha- the way you change the, the clock is you put it in the back somewhere, or they, or they have some feature where you push it in, and it pops out, and then you make the turn. That's not how you change this clock. All you have to do to change this clock is push the button. And the second you push the button, the dial just starts spinning, and it starts spinning really fast. Now, just think about it. We have a minivan. What do you put in, in a minivan? Children. And what do you think the children like to do? Oh, look at it. Oh, look at it. And it's the moment they get in the car. We got two, three, four, five, six-year-olds. They're in the car just pushing the button every time. And I go back and I set the clock. Let's stop touching the clock, children. Leave the clock there. They're like, no, but it's fun. Look at it. There it goes. Like, drive me crazy. Constantly having to reset the clock because if I didn't, it would be off. And this is what Peter is saying to us. If we aren't intentional to set our hope in the right place, we will inevitably be taken off course over and over and over again, okay? Like we all know this from experience. Like it doesn't take a lot, like it's real easy. How many know it's real easy to get off spiritually? It's real easy to forget about the stuff that matters, to get distracted by all the things. It's as if there's a two-year-old pushing the button on our lives, constantly taking us off course. Every one of us knows what that's like. And so Peter is saying, listen, we have to set our hope in the right. There's something here, and I love it. When you dig into the text, it's so good here, okay? Because Peter actually uses an image to show how serious and how focused and how active we need to be in this whole process of setting our hope. Why is that? So the phrase it says, Therefore, in the NIV, it says, with minds that are alert and fully sober. What they're trying to do is capture the essence there, but literally, that is not what the Greek says. The Greek literally, in the original Greek, it says this, gird the loins of your mind. Is that clear for everybody? (laughs) They're like, what in the word, gird the loins? Everybody use that as a normal phrase, don't you? Clearly. Uh, what does it mean to gird your loins? In, at that time, their apparel that they would wear obviously was more like dress-like. It would be more gownish with a belt around it, you know, so you got this stuff. So if you wanted to do something active, you wanted to be really active, you want to go run somewhere, you're going to do something physical, whatever, you're climbing, whatever it is, you would do something called girding the loins, which would mean you would take this dress stuff, you'd take it up, and you'd wrap it and tuck it into your belt. What that means is I'm active, I'm on the go, I'm ready to do this thing, Right? I'm not passive in this moment. I'm very, very intentional. So what is Peter saying? Gird the loins of your mind. You better be active. You are on edge, ready to, you have to be setting your hope. This isn't like, I hope my hope is being set. No, no, I'm being intentional with everything that I've got to set my hope in the right place because this is important. If I don't set it, I'll get distracted and end up going the wrong direction. That's the challenge of the believer. That's what we're being called to. It is an attack mode. This isn't a sit back mode. This is attack mode. It's not like, oh, I'm just so hopeful for Jesus. So hopeful for heaven. No, no, no. I'm hopeful and I'm focused on the things that matter. Takes intentionality, okay? So how do we do this? What does this look like in our life? You're doing a really good thing right now. Gathering with the believers, 
once a week to worship together. Why do we do that every week? Because we need it. We need it. How many times have you showed up on a Sunday morning and you realize, man, oh man, there's some things out of place. Oh, I've gotten distracted. You know what I'm talking about? You come and you're worshiping. You've been freaking out about everything and suddenly you're singing about the glories of God and you're like, why have I been been freaking out? Right, I remember who God is, right? That's the point. And I challenge believers, don't come when it's convenient. Come every week. Why? Because you'll never go more than seven days without having your focus changed, right? Having your hope set in the right place. Even if you had a distracted week, you come and gather with the saints and we encourage one another and point our eyes in the right place. Listen, church attendance isn't a cute thing that used to be a good thing for everybody. It's desperately needed for every single one of us. Like it's just in a world that even increasingly is pointing us the wrong direction. We desperately need to gather with the saints to get our attention put in the right place. Okay, it's desperately needed. But guess what? There's other opportunities, other ways to set our hope. Number one, we talk about scripture. Get in the word. Why do we do our Bible reading plan like we are daily, reading a chapter a day through the New Testament? Why is that? Because it's a chance to set our hope, to get our eyes in the right place, to remember what matters. Are we in the word regular? Are you in the word regularly right now? Or is the only time you open the Bible when I say once a week, stand up and open your Bibles? Right? If we don't get in the word, that sets our hope. Another thing is prayer right? That we spend time with God, that we actually pray. And it isn't some like, I'm, I'm only praying in some corner for 30 minutes a day. No, no. Sometimes it's bringing prayer into every part of my life. Like when you face a hard thing in the middle of the day, rather than worrying about it for the next six hours, you stop and say, God, I need you in this area. I'm going to set my hope. It's in you. It's not in my circumstance. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Worship is another way to set your hope, to get your eyes in the right place. We gather and we worship. We sing about who God is, and it sets our hope in the right place. But I do that in my own life. I challenge you to do that in your own life. In the car, wherever it is, just begin to declare the praise of God. It sets your hope in the right place. But we offer other opportunities around here to help you in that. Why do we have our small groups around here? It's a chance to get with other believers and to challenge one another about how we see things. It's to set our hope in the right place. Honestly, even the opportunities around here to serve or maybe in other areas to serve, it's setting our hope. It's saying, God, we're investing in things that are eternal. We're getting our eyes in the right place. That's what it looks like in our lives. And so Peter would say this, you must continually get your eyes pointed in the right place. Because if you don't, you'll just drift. And when you drift... Where do you end up drifting? The same place everybody else is. And in our world, that isn't a healthy place spiritually, right? That's the wide road, all right? Number one, set your hope. Number two says this, do not conform. Do not conform. We all know what conformity is. Uh, We all know that it's kind of natural. Like desire to fit in is natural for all of us, isn't it? Even if we say, oh, I don't want to fit in. Yeah, you do. You don't want to be the person that everybody's like, they're the weird one. They're so different than everybody. Like, none of us want that. How many of you remember high school? Some of you got to remember a long time to remember that. Okay, you remember high school? We know what high school is like, you know. Uh, there was a, a scene in Mean Girls. Anybody ever seen the movie Mean Girls? I've never seen the movie Mean Girls. Yes, I have. Uh, in the, mo- the movie Mean Girls, there's a scene where, where she's, one girl's showing the other girl just the lay of the land, and they go into the cafeteria and there's all the groups at all the tables. And even if you haven't seen the movie, you know exactly what I'm talking about. She's like, oh, here in the cafeteria, there's all the jocks sitting over there. And there's the band geeks over there, which I can say because I was a band geek. And, uh, and over there is like all the smart kids, right? And there's all the rebels over there and they're the crazy one. And what you recognize is like everybody's different, but they've all conformed to something. 
Because when you look at all the jocks, they all look the same. All these, even the rebels who are like, we're the rebels, they all look the same, <laughs> right? And that's how our world is. We have a tendency toward just trying to fit in. But it isn't just a high school issue. Like we're tempted to do the exact same thing. We're tempted to fit in with, with our family. We're tempted to fit in. E even with your family, you don't even feel tempted. You just do conform to your family. Like, have you, any of you ever had somebody say, oh man, you're just, you're just like your father, just like your mother, and you're like, oh no. <laughs> None of us choose that we want to be like our fathers or mothers. It just happens because we're around them. And like, oh no, that just happened, <laughs> right? So we conform to that. We conform to the friends that we have around us and the relationship. We conform to culture. If we're not intentional, we end up just conforming to the culture that's around us, okay? But what kind of conforming is Peter actually speaking about here when he, he says this? Look at what it says in verse 14. He says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. What's he talking about there? He's speaking to them about their past because he's speaking to them as people who used to not follow Jesus, but now they are following Jesus. He's saying, listen, I'm, I'm going to talk to you about your past. And, and that past is actually representative of just the normal way of the world and the, and the land that we live in. He's saying to them, you used to be ignorant. Like you were ignorant. You didn't know any better. You were foolish. You head in the wrong way. You didn't even know you were heading the wrong way. This is before you knew Christ, before you knew there was hope, before you knew there was another a way to live your life. You didn't know any of that stuff. So you were just ignorant living that way. And because you didn't know any better, you ended up following a lot of evil desires that you had. You ended up engaging in things that you shouldn't have done. You ended up avoiding doing things that you should have been doing. You ended up on the wide road, like we say. Jesus talked about this wide road. You were just heading where everyone else was heading. And he's saying this, don't do that. Just don't do that anymore. You've been given this hope. You've, been, you've realized that there is another way of doing things. You realize that there, there is a greater purpose in this life. That's your old way. Don't live that way anymore. Instead, do not conform to that way. Instead, live Differently, I shared this back in week number one. I talked about the way of Babylon uh, that's all around us. Like we get that. The way of Babylon, the normal way, if you just drift, the normal way is the way of Babylon. And it's sinful. And it's in conflict with the way of Christ. The Apostle Paul talks about this. And I just kind of want to pull this passage up from 2 Timothy. When Paul's talking to Timothy, he gives this list and I want you to read this list, but I don't want you just to read this list and say, you're right, there's all those evil people out there. I want you to say, okay, am I allowing any of this in my heart? What Paul's talking about is, listen, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. See, this is, this is the way that, of the world. This is the way that if we're not intentional, we'll end up just conforming to doing these kind of things. And Peter's saying, don't do that. Don't confirm. Instead, he gives us a different phrase because what's the first two words in the NIV, or first three words? It says, as obedient children. As obedient children, don't conform to this way. Now, a lot of us, we don't like the word obedient. 
like, no, I'm going to pave my own path. I'm going to do my own thing. But, but you know what Scripture says is the primary way that you show God that you love him? is by obeying what he's asked of you. What did Jesus say? If you love me, obey my commandments. Obey what I have spoken. Obey my words. Obey my teachings. There is an attitude that says, I'm willing to obey, to surrender the ways that are natural to me and instead to be an obedient child. Again, some of you, you were the rebel child when you were younger, right? Some of you, you're like, ah, that's not natural for me. I get it. That isn't natural. It's called supernatural. That's why we need the indwelling, the Holy Spirit inside of us to operate according to his will. But that is what we are called to in those parts in our lives when we see ourselves going this way. The inverse of all of these is actually the way of Christ. And we say, God, would you break that? Instead of me trying to rebel and head with everybody else, God, would I be an obedient child that doesn't conform like everybody else does, but actually pursues to do things and to live in a way that is honoring and submitted to yours and not my own way, right? Do not conform. Hear this. You're going to be challenged by this one every day for the rest of your life. Conform. Everything in our world is just conform. Just, oh, just go along with what everybody else is saying. Saying, don't do that. There's one word I could give. Don't, don't give in to that. Don't just go with the flow on this one, right? Do not conform. All right, so I want to get to uh, the third point here. So we said this, set your hope. Do not conform. Lastly, he says this, be holy. Be holy. Uh, Look what it says in verse uh, 15 and 16. It says this, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. I'm not going to get in the weeds on this one uh, because I don't have time to dig into the weeds on this specific passage. But but what is this whole idea of holy? What does it mean to be holy? You never understood that? The word holy, it means set apart. Set apart. So when he says, listen, God is set apart. He is altogether holy. He's altogether other than we are, right? Are you like God? I ain't. <laughs> like, I, like he's altogether other than I am. He is holy. But he's saying as he is set apart, he's calling us to also be set apart, that we would be holy, that we would be altogether other from those around us. But the usage of this word specifically, when we see holy in this specific passage, it carries with it the idea of sinless, pure, and upright. So because God is holy, he is sinless, pure, and upright. So we should be sinless, pure, and upright. Now, if you're like me, you're probably thinking, well, that's impossible, okay? Like, how am I supposed to be all of those things perfectly? I can't do that. And you are 100% right. Thus, the goodness of the gospel that says Christ came and paid the price that we could never pay ourselves. He came and provided a righteousness we could never provide for ourselves. That's the good news of the gospel, all right? But we are called to pursue a life of holiness. So I mean, like, Really? Like, that's what I'm supposed, yep. That's what it means to follow Christ. It isn't just, we're just gonna carry on with life as is comfortable for me. I'm just gonna be a good person. No, you are called to live a holy life. Now, I think this is an idea that has been lost in Western Christianity and in the American church, honestly. This idea of holiness is lost. Okay, I grew up, I grew up in the Assemblies of God. If you didn't know, we're an Assemblies of God church, okay? 
Um, the Assemblies of God, there's amazing, amazing things a part of the Assemblies of God. I love our denomination, but I will say this, the Assemblies of God has roots in the holiness movement of the early 19th century. And along with that holiness movement, there was this saying, we're going to turn away from anything and we're going to pursue holiness beyond a, a state that actually was healthy. Because there became this point where it became, we're, we're not touching anything. If there's even a hint, a potential that someday that could ever lead us to a place of anything wrong, we're just staying away from everything. And, and borders were drawn around. And in time, that became really dogmatic legalism for a lot of believers, right? We don't do this. We don't, if you ever heard people talk about all the things they couldn't do when they were younger growing up, you know, and some of them are like, really, you couldn't do that? Yep, couldn't do that because... This is, this is being holy. No, that, that became, in many ways, became legalistic. And, and because of that, what has happened in our culture and for many of you that were maybe raised that way, you fight against it like, no, that's legalism, that's legalism, that's legalism. But I think in many ways, we've allowed the pendulum to swing too far in response. And too often we call things legalism that scripture simply calls sin, Right? We have people that'll come to us and they'll challenge us. Maybe somebody challenges your behavior and your natural instinct is say, no, you're just being legalistic. No, they're calling out sin that scripture calls, right? Like, so there is a level of holiness that I think we lose sometimes. There's a level of holiness that we miss, that we don't talk about. Now, why does it not get talked about? Well, social media doesn't help. Why is that? Because you ain't gonna be famous as a preacher if all you're doing is preaching holiness, you just aren't. Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to hear you talking about my sin. You know, I'm not going to get a big Instagram following from, from preaching on sin all the time. You know, you're not going to get a book deal from people wanting you to, talk, to preach about that. And so we have a tendency to stay away from anything that's uncomfortable. Like, we're not going to talk about holiness. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. But here we are sitting in the book. The first Peter is preaching to a bunch of people living in a life and in a world that looks a lot like the world we live today. They're in a place where following Christ isn't always easy. And he's not saying, hey, just go along with the crowd. Try not to make a big deal. No, he's saying, be holy. Be holy. Be set apart. Live different from everybody else. Pursue holiness. That's not legalism. That's called righteousness. Say, God, would you pursue what is right in the eyes of God? Can there be ways that it's unhealthy? A hundred percent. But are we missing out on what God's actually calling us to? Because say, oh, well, I don't want to be legalistic. God's calling us to say, God, would I pursue holiness? Would I pursue righteousness before you? Look what it says in the next verse. It says, uh, Verse 17, it says, since you call on a father, and I just love that here. This whole passage is bathed in the fact that God is our father, that God of creation is your father. Like that's good news, right? Since you call on a father who judges, he's not just their father, but he's also the judge, right? But a father who judges each person's work impartially. We are going to be accountable, right? We're accountable. What we do, we are accountable for. He says, live out your time as foreigners. Remember, we're exiles. We're foreigners. This isn't our land. We can't live like everybody else does. He says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Now, a lot of times we like to have this, Jesus is my homeboy, big guy in the sky kind of view of God. But scripture never paints that kind of a picture. He says there's near, he sticks closer than a brother. God is near us, but we should have a reverent fear fear of the Lord. This isn't a scared of the Lord. It is a fear of who he is and that ultimately he is the judge and that I don't 
because you're going to be afraid of something, right? You're going to have fear, like a holy fear of something. Most of us have a fear, right? We have a fear of culture and what people will say about us, about us how they'll respond to us. We have that fear. And because of that, we live a certain way. And he's saying, if you want to follow Christ, hey, you need to have that kind of a healthy, reverent fear of God because that will then transform the way you behave, the way you live, and what you prioritize in your life. And so when we talk about this whole idea of being holy, it's saying, God, I have a reverent fear of you, and I want to follow what you say, not what I think. All right? All right, so we walk through this. And, you know, we've talked about setting our hope. We talk about do not conform and be holy. How many think that's a little bit of a high call? Like, why, you aren't all just shouting me down saying amen when I'm talking about being holy. Like, nobody's saying, amen, I want to. No, that's like, it's total counter to ourselves. Like it's literally, I got to die to me? What? I don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. Like, this is a high call. So why in the world would we do this? Like, it's, this is challenging. Although we have the Spirit empowering us, it's still going to require effort on our part. We're going to have to do something here. Why would we do that? Do we just do it because of last week's passage that said, oh, we have this inheritance, and so it's just delayed gratification. Just hold on and try and be good now, because later on, it'll be worth it. Is that the reason? I mean, I think it helps us see things when we recognize that there is some truth to that in some way, but I don't think that's the motivation, nor do I think that's what Scripture paints the motivation as. And so I want to get to our big so what this morning. I always say, so what's the point of this? If you take away everything else, it's this. Our faithfulness is a response to his faithfulness. Our faithfulness is a response to his faithfulness. We're not responding to just, oh, well, this is what I got to do. Otherwise, faith becomes do's and don'ts. I'm just doing stuff because that's what I have to do if I want to go to heaven. So I need to be good and I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do that. Like that is a really, really ugly version of faith. It's very, very toxic, and it totally misses the heart of the gospel. Because at its heart and its core, the gospel is a love story. The gospel is a love story. Those of you who've been married before, did you get married because of some formula? Like you sat down and you did all the calculations you had all the check boxes. You're like, oh, this makes sense to me. I think I'm going to go ahead and get married now. That's not why you get married. You got married because you fell in love. And you decided, you know what? I'm all in. <laughs> like, I love you. And I don't, I don't even know what it all means. I don't know what all this is going to entail, but I'm, I'm in. If you've been married for a little while and you go to a wedding and you see a couple young people saying like, in sickness and in health, you know, riches, poor, like, till death do us part. If, if you've been married for a while, you listen to people say that, and you're like, they have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> they have no idea what that really means. It's so cute that they're saying that right now. Right? Because you don't know what that means. They're just diving all in. They're saying, uh, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it takes, I'm in on this thing. See, See, this is what the gospel is supposed to be. We're not responding to a book that gives us a list. We're responding to a God who has invited us in. And what does it say in verse 18? It says, for you know, it's talking about this hope we have, you know that it was not with perishable things 
such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. God didn't just say, yeah, I'm gonna pay him off a little bit. No. Say, so what was it, what was it purchased with? With the precious blood of Christ. A lamb without blemish or defect. So why do why do we respond faithfully to Christ? Why do we say, God, I'm willing to pursue holiness? Why is that? Because he's the one who came after us. He's the one who laid his life down on our behalf. He's the one that surrendered to us. You ever watch those movies? And there's that moment where somebody is willing to lay their life down for somebody else. And they're like, I'll go. And you know, everybody's like, oh, they're all crying. Why? Because there's nothing more beautiful than someone who would be willing to lay their life down for another. And that's exactly what Christ did on our behalf. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sinners, it did not deserve anything. It was not just a man. It was the God of all creation humbling himself and coming to earth to lay down his life for us. And the invitation for us is would we, because of his great faithfulness, faithfulness that we didn't deserve, that we didn't purchase, that we can never earn in response to that faithfulness, God, can I be faithful to you? Can I give my life for you? See, we don't live for Christ because the book says to we respond to the love of the one who loved us first, the one who was faithful when we didn't deserve it. And so this morning, I just wanna take a moment to ask you just to have you think about it, to allow the Holy Spirit to speak. Okay, God, am I, am I living faithfully? in response to your faithfulness. Am I pursuing that right now? Or have I maybe gotten a little lazy when it comes to how I respond to you? It comes to my hope. Am I really intentional about the things that matter, about setting my hope? Have I been conforming to everything else rather than conforming to your word and your truth? Have I been pursuing holiness or have I just said, ah, that's legalism. I don't really care about that stuff anymore. Where am I really at? Because ultimately, I don't know about you, but I want to respond to the grace of God with all that I've got. To say, God, forgive me. When I've gotten on, of course, forgive me. Thank you for the grace to give me another chance. But Lord, I want, to, I want to pursue you. I want to live in response to your goodness and your faithfulness. The invitation is there this morning. There may be some of you here this morning that would say, yeah, yeah, Greg, I'm a little off course in a few things. I want to, I want to bring my heart back to Christ again. There's others of you that would say, maybe you've never responded to Christ. And I wanna give you an opportunity to do that as well. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes across the room. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you made a way for us. We admit that we go the wrong way so often, Lord Jesus. This morning, we're just taking a moment to bring our hearts back before you. With every head bow, every eye closed across the room, if you're here this morning, you would say, you know what? I've never surrendered my heart to Christ. I just never have, or it's been a really long time and I need to recommit my heart to Christ. I've just, I've just been going along, it's like a lazy river. I've just been going wherever the water takes me and, and I don't wanna do that anymore. I wanna respond to Christ and surrender to him. If that's you this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift a hand across the room and say, God, I wanna respond to you. I need to respond to the hope of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're online, I would encourage you to respond as well. Give another moment if there's anybody else who wants to respond. Several hands that have gone up.
the Holy Spirit to call you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to pray in your heart as I pray out loud. Father, I thank you so much that you love me, that you have called me to yourself. Father, I want to surrender myself to you. I admit I'm a sinner, and I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died and rose again to bring salvation. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin. God, I make you my Lord. Make Jesus Lord over my life. Help me to live for you, to pursue these things, not because I'm the one that does it right. You're already making me clean and pure in Christ. But help me to live in response to your faithfulness in every way, Lord. every head bowed. Still, there's some of you here this morning, and I, I just want to give an opportunity for you to respond. You say, you know what? I'm a follower of Christ. I am a follower of Christ, but if I'm honest, I've gotten a little off course in a few areas of my life. I've been getting distracted. Faith has kind of been on the back burner, and I just, as an act of surrender, just want to say, God, I want to put you back at the front of my life. I want to let go of some of those other things. If that's you, just with every eye closed, every head bowed, just as an act of surrender, say, yeah, Jesus, that's me right now. Would you just lift your hand across the room? Say, God, I want to I want to lean in again. I want to lean in again. Yeah. Yeah, across the room. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for the invitation that you're constantly inviting. Your arms are open. It's a question whether we're going to run to you. So, Lord, for every person that's feeling that right now, God, I pray that you would just uh, meet them where they are, God. God, would your Holy Spirit continue to bring deep conviction to respond to you as we pursue living for you in everything we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to close our time together this morning by participating in communion together. So I would encourage you in the room as well as online to take out your elements. If, uh, if you by chance were missed, just lift a hand and one of the ushers will walk down the aisle and make sure you get the elements as you walk in the door. You can go ahead and open your elements. It's an opportunity though for us to just be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. Right? To be reminded of what He did for us. This isn't just some ritual that we do because we have to. This is a chance for us to remember His faithfulness and to inspire our faithfulness. And so we say, thank you, Jesus, for your body. We thank you for your blood. We thank you that you paid a price we could never pay, God. You provided what we could never provide for ourselves. And we thank you that you took the nails in your hands, you took the nails in your feet, took a spear in your side, a crown of thorns on your head. You took the lashes on your black back. You took the ridicule and the mocking of people around. You took the spit of people who spit in your face. And yet you did it with love in your eyes saying, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And God, we are those people that don't know what they're doing so often. We thank you you are a God who chooses forgiveness in the face of that. I thank you for that, God. The night he was betrayed, he said he took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body and can we eat together. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. The same way after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Can we drink together? Would you stand with me across the room? a moment as we close for a moment can you just begin to speak out your praises to God just tell him thank you maybe lift a hand and worship and just say God we worship you we worship you Jesus we worship you Jesus we worship you Jesus
Father, we praise you today. God, we thank you for your holiness, your faithfulness, your goodness, your righteousness, your love. We thank you for all those things, God. And I pray this week, rather than thinking about things we do and we don't, God, I pray that we would be responsive to you. In response to you, God, in obedience to you, God, we would follow what you've asked of us. God, may we be those who live love to those around us. May we be those who forgive as you have forgiven us. God, may we be those who pursue to, to meet the needs of those around us rather than having our own needs met. God, would you do that in our hearts, do that in our lives, and help us to, to walk faithfully with you this week. Thank you for that, Jesus. We pray that in your name. Amen. Amen. I want to give two challenges here. Number one, I want to give a challenge to the rest of us as a congregation. Do you want to throw the challenge up on the screen? And it's this, choose one action step for your life this week. What's that look? Maybe you gotta, you gotta be intentional about setting your hope this week. Maybe you need to get in the Word. Maybe you need to change your schedule in some way to set your hope, whatever that is. Maybe there's an area where you've been conforming, right? You've been just going along. Maybe you need to say, no, God, help me to live out a different way. Or maybe there's an area where you need to say, God, what does it look like to live holy? I haven't been pursuing that. God, would you give me a greater sensitivity? Maybe there's some things that I used to not engage in, but Lord, I've allowed that back into my life and I can see how that's taken me the wrong way. God, would you speak that into my heart? Let's take an action step this week, all right? But I know there were uh, several of you that responded to faith. If you can put up the QR code, this QR code is gonna stay on the screens for the next five minutes or so. And uh, if you made a decision for faith this morning, I want you to scan this QR code and respond. It's just like two questions because we wanna come alongside you and help you on the journey of faith. Please allow us to support you in that way, all right? So that'll stay on the screens. Make sure you do that before you walk out the room. But I'm gonna invite our prayer team forward. They're gonna be here. If you need prayer for anything, please come and receive prayer. Otherwise, as you head out there, I think we got some like 
popsicles or something like that for you on the way out the door this morning. So a little treat for you. So have a great fourth. We love you guys. We'll see you back next Sunday.